0: on my heart this last week, Uh, the Lord was really speaking to me. I told you at the end of a fast is when things really start breaking out. One of the things that the Lord started speaking to me about was this year to, on Easter Sunday, to receive a resurrection seed offering here in the church. And uh, we're not putting any amount on this, but uh, that uh, all of the monies that would come in in the special offering, which would be given on Easter Sunday weekend, that Saturday night or that Sunday would all go towards our children's ministry, to our expansion that we're doing with the kids, and um, you know, uh, we plant seed for a harvest. We don't rejoice in the planting of seed, but we definitely rejoice in the harvest that comes from the seed. Amen. And so, I'd like you to get in agreement with me and just start believing. And Sharon and I, we're going to believe for a thousand dollars to give on Easter Sunday. And I'd like to just ask you. And look, you can't give what you don't have, but there's nothing wrong with us starting to apply our faith to start. you got 11 weeks. 11 weeks, okay? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a long time to get ready before Easter Sunday gets here. So we're just going to believe, God, that we'll be able to set a little aside every week out of our paycheck. And then uh, at the end of that, we'll have enough to, to be able to give. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to share the miracle with the congregation without putting any specified number on it or asking you to fill out a pledge card just to say, look, I want you to pray about this. I want you to talk to the Lord about it. And uh, we'll keep reminding you about that it's coming up. And then on Easter Sunday, hopefully that morning, we'll be able to bring a report to everybody about what that offering was that came in extra to go towards the children's ministry. And so uh, we've got a lot we need to do uh, that needs to be taken care of for that all to happen. And for we want to turn that all back into a children's wing and a youth wing Actually, we're wanting to take the conference room and to uh, turn that in for our youth so that they can actually have a place to meet instead of in an office. And uh, so we're working towards doing that. And actually, the kids will have more room in the back. We're going to be able to put a little playground outside one of the back, uh, one of the toddler rooms for the little kids. And so um, all of that's going to happen through that. So just get in faith with me, all right? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Can I have a better amen? Amen. Wow. Get in agreement with me, you got 11 weeks. we believe we're calling it a resurrection seed offering. It's a sacrifice and we're making that. we're going to give it. God gave his best sacrifice for you and I. Amen through Jesus Christ so we're going to give a, we're just going to believe God together and see what happens. Praise the Lord. All right, I want you to open your Bibles up with me if you would to uh, the book of um, I want you to open it up just trying to think of where I want to start tonight. Um, I want you to open it up to the book of Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 is where we left off. Let's just kind of re- review here for a minute about authority, because we're talking about the authority of the believer. One, authority is transferable. Everybody say that with me. Authority is transferable. You know, you've been driving down the road, and you've probably seen this, that uh, there's a state patrol officer has got this giant semi pulled over on the side of the road, Okay. Uh, I know that's never happened to Johnny, it's never happened to Wes, but uh, you know that these guys drive these big semis, but you'll see that happen. Now, if we were going to talk about power, all right, the semi has more power than the state trooper's car. So if the semi wanted to, and the semi driver, who's in authority over the semi, he could actually just drive the state patrol guy off the road, and just end it right there, right? If he wanted to. So, Semi, not that, it, not that we're encouraging that to happen, all right? But, but that could happen, couldn't it? If, so if we're talking about raw power, right, raw power, then we're saying that the guy with the semi has more power than the guy that's in this. What about like when you've seen them, um, you know, you've been driving down the road and there's a guy standing out in the road, maybe it's a police officer. Uh, there's been a wreck and they're directing traffic. Now, if you didn't want to do what he said to do or she said to do, your vehicle, you know, my truck, my, my, my Dodge fifteen or yeah, Dodge 1500 is is way more powerful than a police officer standing in the middle of the road. So we're going to talk about raw power. If I didn't want to do what they said, I'd just run them over or hope they get out of the way while well, I go wherever I want. Do you understand what I'm saying? What is it about that person, even though you may have more raw power than they do, what is it about that person that makes you submit to their authority? You submit to their authority because not because of who they are, but because of who they represent. Because of what is backing them up. You run the you run the, let's say you run the police over officer over. What's going to happen? There's more police officers coming, right? There's more authority coming and they're going to track you down. And if they have to, they'll take you out. Right? And that semi-driver surely could run a state patrol car off, but there's more state patrol guys out there. And the next thing you know, you've got helicopters coming in, and you've got other state patrol cars coming in, and then you might have something that could just take the, blow the motor out of that semi. So what we understand is, is that authority that the, these guys that operate in authority, like the police officer or the state patrol, they are, have been transferred authority from something greater than themselves. And they recognize that. They know when they're out there that that's the authority that they're operating under. So when they, when they do their job and when they're out there doing their job, they, re, they recognize that there is other representation that has been transferred to them that has a greater authority and has greater fiscal raw power than, the in, than, than, than they do. So authority is transferable. Can you say amen? amen. All right. They didn't come up with it on their own. Their authority, they're there by someone else's ability that's put on them. Now, when we talk about authority in the Scripture, we talk about that God transferred authority to Adam and Eve in the earth. Adam and Eve transferred that authority over to the serpent. The serpent held that authority captive over mankind until Jesus came, and then Jesus took that authority back, all right? took that authority back. the only real power that the devil has today is the ability to deceive is to, to deceive the believer. and I want to show you that in the scriptures tonight as we look at a couple of things but I want you to, I want you to look at this with me in Mark chapter, um, mark chapter 16 because this is where Jesus is talking about after he's resurrected and uh, come back and he's talking to his disciples, and he says in verse 15, he said unto them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And we talked a little bit about how that last week, uh, that, how that authority is always tied to your baptism. Because in baptism, you're saying farewell to this world. The last, really, the last bastion of where sin has a right to dominate you're being buried with Christ in the water and resurrected with him to new life. Now, you're not saved because you're baptized, and that doesn't say that you're saved because you're baptized. But you and I are saved because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we are baptized, we are making a public acknowledgement to those that we know, our church or family or friends, We're and to ourselves and to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are departing from the old nature and life and we are entering into the new nature and life of Jesus Christ. And so, when that happens, recognize this, though on the outside it might just look like a tub full of water and a preacher putting you into the water and you're just going underwater and coming back up out of the water. But spiritually, the significance is as powerful as what Chuck talked about right here in the pulpit in communion. See, it's not just a piece of bread and some juice. To us, it represents everything Jesus did for us. In fact, the Bible tells us, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, power behind this, that there were people in the Book of Corinthians that actually they were sick and dying early because they were disgracing the communion service in the church, and the reason they were disgracing it was because they became all they become all self interested and because they were just taking it in such a way that they weren't examining their own hearts, they weren't they weren't doing it for the right reasons. They were just doing it to do it for some religious function. And so what ended up happening is is that there was a judgment, not from God. There's a judgment that came because now they're 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 taking something that is sacred and they're making it profane and because they are profaning communion, they have now allowed the sin, the sin in the world to to come upon their lives. And so It seems like it's natural, but it is not natural. Baptism is not a natural thing. It looks natural, but it is supernatural. When you go in the water, you're being buried with Christ. When you come out of the water, you are resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ into newness of life. You have said farewell to that old life, and you have said hello. That gives you a supernatural authority in your life that you're buried with Christ. Amen. So if you haven't been water baptized, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, Like I said, it doesn't save you, but it definitely has a spiritual implication to your authority. Every place Jesus talked about authority, he talks about baptism in his commission to his disciples. So, and then he goes on and he says, look guys, these signs will follow them that believe. These signs will follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. In my name, they're going to do all of these things. So, in fact, in the Greek language, the way that this reads out here is, is that because of the way that he said it, he said, them that believe in my name, if you believe in the name, Okay, the name, of a, the name of God is the high tower, the righteous run into it, they are saved. Jesus is the name above every name, according to Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11, tells us that it's exalted in the heavens, the earth, under the earth. It's the name above all names at the name of Jesus. There is no name in comparison. It is the name of God to the believer. As Yahweh was in the Old Testament, Jesus is to us in the New Testament. The name Jesus, of course, is a reference for you and I that it is God is salvation. He is my salvation. He is my deliverer, Jesus, the name of Jesus. So when we talk about here in this verse, if you read it this way, it says, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Remember, there is no punctuation in the original Greek, all right? Them that believe in my name. So if we believe in his name, guess what we do? We cast out devils because why? Because we believe in the name of Jesus. We cast out devils because of that name. They'll speak with new tongues. We get to speak in tongues. And, and I just want to make it, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but I also believe this is a reference because it's just the in the, in the Hebrew. There is no, um, there is no uh, supernatural word for the word tongues in the New Testament. It's languages, okay? I believe also that this is not just talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, but about you getting your mouth straightened out. Because I meet a lot of Pentecostal people that speak in tongues, and they got trash mouths. And I'm talking about they trash their family, they trash their church, they trash their husband, they trash their wife, they trash their kids, and you need a new language, friend. And the Holy Spirit, the name of Jesus can give that to you. That's the only way you're going to get it. You're not just going to get So I believe in speaking in tongues. I mean, I speak in tongues all the time, and in a language I don't know, an unknown tongue, according to what it says in Corinthians. But he didn't say, in this passage here, he said, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to speak with new tongues. Now, wouldn't you say if all you've been is Nancy negative all your life? If your name's Nancy, I'm sorry. Or Debbie Downer, and that's all you've done all your life is put everything down, put yourself down, put your family down, put your life down, and you get, you ask Jesus Christ into your life, what's a greater miracle? That your language changed about yourself, your family, or that you spoke in some heavenly language? They're both miraculous. Amen. So it's a good thing. See, when he talked about speaking in new languages, don't you just think that's about you coming to the altar and getting filled with the Holy Ghost and that you spoke in tongues and then you go back to talking however. You'll never experience the blessings of God speaking in tongues but being negative about your life. All right? And most of us here know that that is absolutely true because we've done it. Can I get a better amen? Amen. We're not having confession right now, but we know that that's true. Look at verse 18. And they shall speak, excuse me, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And if you underline in your Bible, just underline that last line. Because he's not saying, look, here's what I want you to do is we're going to start throwing snakes around in church, and we're going to drink some cyanide and see what happens. That would all be tempting God, which he forbid. Jesus forbid it. Remember the guy, the devil said, to, what did he tell him? He said, look, jump off, right? He said, jump off the cliff. That'd be no different than you taking up a snake, a poisonous rat, uh, timber rattler. They have timber rattlers up here, don't they? So you grab a timber rattler and we just throw them rattlers around. I throw one to Pat and he throws one to Tom and we throw them all at Sharon and see what happens, all right? And <laughs> <you> <laughs> we'll test her faith, right? But see, here's the thing. God doesn't call. See, that's where we get into trouble. You're not called to test God. You are not called to test God, except in one area of your life. Anybody know what that is? In your tithes and offerings. That's the only place he tells you to prove him or test him or put him to the test. That is it. So you don't get to come back. So Jesus said, look, you'll not tempt. You're not going to test the Lord your God. I'm not doing that. Even though the devil quoted scripture to him and said he will give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your way if you jump off this cliff. And Jesus said, I rebuke you and you will not tempt the Lord your God. And that is still for you and I as believers. So if we came in here and we're like, well. I don't care, you know what, we're just going to throw, we're going to see who has faith and God will watch over us and start throwing snakes around and be crazy with stuff like that. You're going to get bit and you're going to die. That's tempting God. The rule, the issue is here, let's see it in application. The apostle Paul was picking up some sticks and got bit by a snake. Everybody watched him to see if he would die right there on the spot. He didn't die. He didn't even swell up. Then they thought he was God, a God. You know, they're like, this guy's a miraculous guy. What was he doing? He was applying what Jesus has said to his life, and the snake did not harm him. Amen? And the snake did not harm him. It's a good thing today, and I'm not speaking against the restaurant industry, but for you to speak over your food, that no deadly thing shall harm me, according to the word. Amen? Now, if you knew there was deadly stuff in it and you ate it, you're tempting God. But there's a lot of stuff you don't know what's happening. You know, I mean, I don't want to get into it or you won't ever eat in a restaurant again. But, but uh, you know, look, stuff happens. And we need to believe that no deadly thing will harm us. Amen? Will harm us. All right? You know, it's just kind of like this, and this is a great example of this. When Sharon and I get on an airplane, we take authority on the airplane and say, nothing deadly will happen to us on this plane. Nothing shall harm us, okay? Now, if the pilot came on and said, well, look, we're having problems with engine one and engine three, but you know what? We're just going to go ahead and see what happens. You know what I'm doing? I'm getting off the plane. Well, the pilot's drunk out of his mind, but the co-pilot's okay, but we're going to let the pilot fly it as long as he can until he passes out. Guess what I'm doing? I'm getting off the airplane because I'm not going to tempt God and go, well, God will take care. I, I had a good friend, uh, two good friends that died from this. They did this with airplanes. And uh, so you don't want to mess with this kind of stuff. I had one buddy, a great preacher in West Virginia, man. He was an awesome man of God. I mean, he was He was. God was promoting him and creating, and he got, he got cocky about it. And so he was looking at an airplane. And he had talked to this guy, and this guy said, yeah, I'm instrument rated. And uh, the guy, guy was not instrument rated with an airplane. And, uh, you know, when someone tells you they're instrument rated, you say, well, let me see. you got to have a license to be instrument rated, so where, where is it? So they just went off of word, him and his assistant. Go in there. There's fog setting in, okay, and they're looking at this plane. And the air tower guy said, "We saw them down there, and they were walking around the plane, putting their hands on it. They got in the plane. It took off. The guy wasn't instrument rated. They got in the clouds. And when you're in the clouds, and, and you don't, you're not watching the instruments. You don't know if you're upside down, right side up. The plane." It went out of control, spiraled out, they all died. Pastor, of the great church, assistant pastor, what were they doing out there by that plane before it took off? They were praying over it. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're tempting God with your prayer, it don't work. You don't have the right to do that. Okay? Okay? Now, if God tells you, go ahead and get on, and it's fine. and You know in your spirit God said that, then do it. But, man, I'm telling you, I take authority when I get on these things because there's all kinds of things I don't know, so I'm just going to say, no deadly things shall harm me. This plane is not going to be one of those deadly things. I had another good friend, a pastor that preached in this church. I mean, an awesome man of God. It was warned over and over and over and over and over and over to get his, plane, his jet checked. Get it checked. There's problems with it. It needs. It's having issues, and he just kept faith in it. That's what they would call it. You know, he kept saying, "Well, we'll just believe God, huh? We'll just believe God." And so he put that to the test. Kept testing God with it, and then all of a sudden, they get up in the air. And I forget if it was an engine fell off or it cracked, the, the, the plane cracked, they all died instantly, thing burned up, they're all dead. Now I'm not saying that because I'm like are like, come on, Pastor, tell us the good news. The good news is 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 that look, you and I have authority, but we don't have authority to tempt God except in our giving. And we can take in our giving and walk up into the offering and say, Lord, I'm putting you to the test. Here's ten I'm not saying God's telling you to give your whole paycheck, but I'm saying God says, give, put me to the test now and see if I won't open to you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing there's not room enough to receive. It's the only place he tells us to do that. And so he says, put me to the test, go ahead, put your off tithe in there, take 10%, put it in the offering, he says, and I'm going to open the windows of heaven to you. And it's the only place he says you can tempt or test him. All right? So should we believe that no deadly thing shall harm us? (laughs) Come on. How many of you, when you're driving on the road and it snows, you're not concerned about your driving, you're more concerned about everybody else's driving? Okay? Well, then you're a wise driver. Right? Now, when you get out there on the road, do you pray? Do you make a confession? Absolutely. No deadly thing. No idiot drivers, amen? (laughs) No barely licensed individuals are going to come near me to harm me. Praise the Lord. And then that last part, he says, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover, and they shall recover. So in this passage, he's telling us, look, in my name, you got all this authority. And then I wanted to read this last part to you, and then we'll move on here. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, And sat on the right hand of God. So then after the Lord had spoken to them. What did he do when he spoke to them? He gave them authority. So where is he headed? Now he's headed to the right hand of the throne of heaven. And he sat on the right hand of God. And then in in the last verse there it says this. And so they went out. They went forth. And they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs and wonders following. Now, if you would look in your Bible, do me the honor of looking in your Bible, you'll notice that in that passage the word them is in italics, and that is because that word does not exist in the original Greek. That has been added to, by someone, that's been added by the interpreters to try to bring clarification. But I want you to think about this verse with this idea. And they went out everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word. He wasn't confirming them. He confirms the word. He works and confirms what he says in his word. Jeremiah 1.12 says that the Lord hastens to perform his word. He does what his word says that he will do. That's what he is obligated or committed himself to. To do. That's why Jesus knew when the devil was throwing that stuff at him that absolutely he would protect me if I fell. But I'm not going to tempt him by jumping off the cliff because now I have taken one scripture and violated another scripture. And when you take one scripture and violate another scripture, he's not working with the word and confirming the word with signs and wonders following that authority is given to the church. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians 1. Y'all doing all right tonight? Ephesians chapter 1. All right. Say amen when you found it. All right. I want you to look at, um, I want I want us to go down to verse 2. Uh, verse 10. Excuse me, not verse 10. I want you to go down to verse 16. All right, Paul says to the church, he says, look, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, and here's how I'm praying for you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance that is in the saints, what has been given to you, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him down at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. Now watch this. Watch the transition here. He says, look, he sat down at the right. That's where we finished with, right, the, in the book of Mark 16. And he sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out everywhere, the Lord working and confirming the word with signs and wonders following in verse 20. Now it says that he is that he set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, and not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So Jesus is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And so he's saying that all things are now under the feet of the church. Look at verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So what he, what we have to understand out of this is if authority is transferable, all right, which we have pretty much uh, come to that conclusion that God transferred authority. He did not transfer ownership. He transferred authority to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve transferred the authority, not the ownership, transferred the authority to the serpent, the serpent retained that authority until Jesus Christ came back and became the last Adam, spotless and sinless, paid for the sin of the first Adam or the rebellion of the first Adam, takes the authority now away because the serpent has no right to retain that authority in the earth any longer, takes that authority away and then what does he do? He gives it to the church. He gives it to the church. Look at the person next to you and say, you're the church. You know, when he transferred authority to his disciples, what did they do? They went out everywhere healing the sick. They did. In fact, when he transferred his authority, it doesn't say that he transferred the Holy Ghost to them. See, I think this is where we get into a little bit of trouble in, in our understanding about the work of God. That we call for more power... But in most situations, we don't need more power. We need to understand our authority. Because you can have all kinds of power present. And if you don't get the authority, the right that you have to use that power, you'll never do it. You could be full of all kinds of power and not sure about how, you know, what. I don't know, you know, I heard about that I'm, you know, how much, I mean, how much more of the Holy Spirit do we have to have in the church? Well, I believe on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, the Holy Spirit blew into the church and he has not left yet. And he didn't go, well, I'm only going to blow in 30%. And so, you know, look that I'm only going to be here 30% for you guys. And then I'll show up a little later. And You know, during this period of time, maybe the dark ages, I'll only be in five percent, and well, then you know, when revival breaks out at Azusa, I'll go in again at fifty percent. And no, man, he's the Holy Spirit is a person. When he's there, he's there. The only thing that limits the Holy Spirit is the believer, not understanding the authority that he wants to work with and confirm the word with signs and wonders following. So you can do all kinds of stuff to try to get the power. I've seen it happen where, man, we've had like, you know, I mean, you could just feel like there was energy in the building, but that doesn't mean anybody's getting healed in the building just because the power's there. And I can show you places in scripture, I'm not going to do it tonight, where Jesus was so full of the power. I mean, the power was all over him. And it was in his clothes, and I mean, it was there, and there were people that were there, religious people, who knew what God had taught and told them in the scriptures, and they're sitting in the meeting, and they're sick in their bodies, and not one of them is getting healed because the power is present. In fact, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal, and nobody's getting healed. All right? Until some guys dropped a guy from the roof tore open the roof and dropped their buddy, four guys dropped their buddy in, and at that very moment, the meeting broke out, the guy got healed, but there were still people in the room that never got healed because they never, it wasn't about the power, it was about receiving the authority that was available. Jesus knew who he was. He never had a problem with that. So, you know, we we used to sing in Pentecostal churches, you know, Lord, send the power, send the power. Lord, we need the power. We need the Holy Ghost power. We got the Holy Ghost power for crying out loud. (laughs) God's in heaven going, (laughs) you got the power, guys. I mean, we got folks that that are baptized in the Holy Spirit are walking in no more power than a sinner that has, doesn't even have God in their life. We have Christians that have as little victory as people without God. And the reason is, is, isn't because God has diminished in power. The reason is, is because we're not releasing it through the authority that has been given to us. And when we start walking in the authority, as a believer... Look, it's not about us. We're just the cop on the road. We're just the state patrol guy pulling the truck over. It's about everything that that badge, that honor represents that's behind us. It has nothing... It's not about you and I, how awesome we are. It's about everything that we represent, how awesome it is. If without the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs and wonders following, we're not going to have anything. You know, you're supposed to... I'm not picking on you, okay, but I'm just saying we're supposed to, as a church, we have every right to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit all the time as the Spirit moves. And I believe he moves all the time. I mean, are we around needy people, people that have needs, need a touch from God? But see, what happens is we could be standing there praying in tongues and just calling for the power and sing our favorite worship song and have nothing any different in the experience until we choose to step out into the authority that God has given to us. So you say, well, wouldn't that be tempting God? No, because he told you to do it. And if he told you to do it, he didn't stutter. Right? He didn't back off. He didn't comp. He said, do it. Do it. Go and do it. Listen to me. I'll I'll give you the words. Just start speaking and and, and be my representative in the earth. Praise the Lord. The church has been given the authority. The church has been given the authority. It's been put under his feet. And so he has placed that authority in our lives. I want to read one last passage to you. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 1. And then we will wrap up tonight. I don't finish this. I just stop it. Okay, just so I just want you to know I'm not done. I'm just stopping. All right. So, you know, this testimony of scripture, this is about Mary, you know, Mary, she's a virgin. She's just kind of minding her own business in life. And all of a sudden an angel appears in a room. All right. This angel appears and says, Hey, highly favored one. And, you know, and then begins to speak to her. Now watch this. All right. Um, Verse, uh, yeah, I'm getting to it. Thank you, honey. Verse 30. And the angel said unto her, to Mary, don't be afraid, for you found favor with God. Okay? And behold, now watch this. This is a word from the Lord if you write in your Bible you should write by this word from God for Mary specifically and you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus and he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end now Let me, everybody look up at me. Now, she is not pregnant right now. Because if that would have, if just saying that, that would have been rape. She, she has authority over her body. If she doesn't agree to it, that's why God doesn't make you do stuff. He isn't going to make anybody do what they don't want to do. He ain't going to make you get saved. He's not going to make you speak in tongues. He's not going to make you be a better witness. He's Okay, are you with me? So he isn't going to move in now and say, all right, this is happening whether you want it or not. I'm telling you now, you're going to have my son, and that's just the way it is, and you're pregnant. He didn't do it that way. And Mary responds back to him and says to him, look, Lord, How can that even happen? I don't even have a man, and I don't know a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, See, it hasn't happened yet. The Holy Ghost shall come on you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you, and therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Notice here, this is so powerful, that even in her doubt, the angel did not change what he was saying. The word remained the same. Same thing with God. Even in our doubt, God isn't changing what he says to us. He still continues to proclaim the same word to us. So, and then he says, And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the six months with her who is called who was called barren. Now, nothing has happened until verse 37. Watch this. All right? For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. Now, one translation of this verse says this, says that no word of God, I think it's the New American Standard, no word of God shall be void or empty of power. Means that it shall not be empty of the power to perform what it's supposed to do. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, and here it comes, be it unto me according to your word, and the angel departed from her, and from that moment she's pregnant. The word had already been given; the word from God had already been given. That's the that's the sperm that was that was available for that that egg to ovulate inside. She provides the egg; he provides the the, the genetics from heaven. All right, the genetics from heaven are based off the same thing that created the heavens and the earth. You say, well, how can something natural come out of something that? Supernatural and is was an invisible. Well, how did the worlds come into existence by God just saying, let there be light? And all of a sudden, there was light. God said, my son will be born conceived in your womb. And Mary responds back and says, be it unto me according to your word, Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Anything other than that would have been rape, spiritual rape. She agrees. The next thing we find out, she's pregnant. Now, I said all that to say this: you have the authority as to whether God's word is confirmed in your life, not God. You have the authority, not God. God has already declared what He has to say about your situation. You have the authority to declare it. I'll just, I just—I was going to stop with this verse, but I'll give you one more, okay? And you don't have to turn to it. It's really easy to remember. Ephesians chapter six, verse ten. Be strong in the Lord. Finally, brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word there that says be strong, it means be empowered. It is a reference in the Greek language to you get yourself strong to deal with this. He provides the raw material, but you have to do the work. And we are a lazy people. We'll go out and spend twelve hundred bucks on a piece of workout equipment and let it hang clothes in our basement. And we know it's there. The raw material is available. We're a lazy people. But then we want to look like I say I want to say Charles Atlas, but nobody probably knows who that is. So but we want, and I don't want to say Arnold because he's pudgy now, so, yeah, there you go, Ryan Gosling. We want to look, you know, we want washboard abs, we want thin bodies, we want everything to be, I, I'm just like you are, but I don't want it because I, I don't want it because I got to work for it. I want you to give me a pill, right, yeah, yep. that'll deflate this gut, right? I want you to give me a pill so I won't be hungry no more and I won't crave donuts and pie and steak and pie and steak and potatoes and pie. Huh? I want you to give me a pill that I want to eat kale for real. I don't even know if God could create that pill. So, But here's the thing. See, God, we have been given the raw material. You think of all the raw materials you have in your life to produce great results. But you're not empowering yourself to use it. And the same is true with what God has done. God gave us, he said, be strong in the Lord. Empower yourself in the Lord. You do that. You got to do that. You got to empower yourself in the Lord and in the power of of his might, so he's got all the he's got all this. In fact, the word power there is the word uh, ixthus, and it means the 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 power, the very strength, the 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 the, the anointing, the power of the Almighty God and Kratos and all that that God says it's available to you. The mighty power of His Word, and He gives all that to you and I. And He says, "But listen, friend, you gotta." And we sit back, and go, "Oh God, make me strong." Oh, God, give me more faith. I heard somebody the other day says, well, I've been praying for patience, and I just wanted to slap him and say, don't do that. <laughs> you can't pray for patience. And how do you, you know, if the only way to get patience is to face adversity, you're basically giving God permission to yeah. create adversity in your life, which he won't, but he'll let you stand in it. No, oh, man, you got all that raw material. But you got to empower yourself. You got to empower yourself. And look, and I, and I promise this is it, I'm done. But whining and crying about it at the altar is not going to change anything if you're not going to get up and empower yourself to do what God said you could do. It just isn't going to change. And, you know, wouldn't we all love for God just to come down and jerk the slack out of our kids. Or God to come down, come on. Or God to come down and just hand you a check for a million dollars. Or God to come down and that he would just say, oh yeah, well, look, uh, here, just take this and all your diseases will be gone. But what God does is says, no, I'm giving you the raw materials. I give you the strength of my power and my might. He says, but you get yourself strong. You empower your self. Why did he do that? Here's why. Because he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and he has empowered the church to carry out his plan on the earth. Amen. Stand up with me if you would. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of this tonight? Amen. Well, a few of you did. That's great. I want to pray over these. Uh, Mark, I want you to come and pray with these over. And Chuck, I want you to pray over these as well. Just, uh, Carrie, if you would, and Sharon, you guys just to put your hands on these. Does anybody need a prayer? Do you have somebody you need to take a cloth to? Okay, tonight, one, two, three, four. Anybody else that needs a kids? I know a bunch of kids have been.